If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 5. We are uh, continuing to work through the Gospel of John. I know it's been a couple weeks, so just as a, a quick recap, right, we, that we were looking at Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath, and there were two big ideas that we looked at. One, this was just a beautiful portrait of the Gospel, that Jesus uh, raises up a man who really had no interest in Jesus at all. And so it's a great picture of grace towards the spiritual, spiritually dead. That's what we talked about last time. And, and as a result of Jesus doing that on the Sabbath, he greatly offended uh, the religious leadership of the day and because he claimed equality with God. And that's where we're picking up in John 5 is Jesus explaining who he is and why he can claim to be equal with God the Father, which is a big claim. You know, loads of religious leaders have said, do this. None of them claim to be God himself. Uh, he says, follow me. It's very different. They would say, follow my way, not follow me. Jesus says, follow me, because I am your creator. And then, uh, kids, because this is a Halloween weekend and a Reformation Sunday weekend, I'm going to give you a, a drawing assignment. We're going to learn about Jesus' voice raising the dead. It seems appropriate on Halloween, so... I'll have a future uh, reward for you uh, to show off, show off your artwork this week, okay? So draw a picture of Jesus' voice raising the dead from the tombs as you, as you hear that in John, John this morning. All right, let's read our text and pray. This is uh, John chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read verses uh, 18 to 30. It says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees is the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is God's word. Uh, he has spoken to us today in love. Let's, let's pray together. Father and our God, I pray that um, we need to hear your voice, as we just heard. And for us to hear your voice, you have to open our ears by your Spirit. And so I pray that this morning we would hear Jesus' voice so that we might pay even closer attention to the great love which we have received in this salvation. Um, so show us the power of, of Jesus and the power of the gospel as we look at a framework and how to understand what we do and what's been done to us. So help us trust Jesus the judge and honor him as you, as you have, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Emmy Award-winning uh, TV show, Breaking Bad, uh, a guy named Walter White, right, if you know the story, he's, uh, he's uh, just an ordinary high school chemistry teacher. Um, starts off in seemingly innocent, docile, harmless, um, just a small-town guy. But then he receives a, a terminal cancer diagnosis from his doctor, and, and as he's facing his own mortality and he's looking at his family and saying, I want to leave them some money so when I'm gone, they'll, they'll, they'll be okay, and, and so he uses his chemistry skills to break the law, right? He, he starts cooking crystal meth. And apparently it turns out he's good at it, and it's really high quality and in demand, and, and so begins in this story this long downward descent of Walter White really into the hell of his own making. That evil begets evil. This is a moral universe. Evil begets escalating evil. And actually, at some point in the story, we're told uh, that, that Walter starts to justify his crimes. He begins to sneer at those who would believe in the backwards notion of right and wrong and morality. Right? So morality, he says, that's just the concern of lesser evolved, less scientific minds. And so in the New York Times, the, the, the writer of Breaking Bad, this guy named Vince Gilligan, says this about his show. He says, if there's a larger lesson to be learned, it's that actions have consequences. That I feel the need for some kind of justice. I, I hate the idea of Idi Amin, right, the, the, the cruel Ugandan dictator. I hate the idea that he just spent the last 25 years of his life comfortably living in Saudi Arabia. That galls me to no end. He says, I like to believe in, that there is some comeuppance, that karma kicks in, even if it takes decades. I want to believe there is a heaven, but I can't not believe that there is a hell. Right, some pretty strong words, in the New York Times, no less. <laughs> you know, what, what, what Gilligan's getting after, right, is, is I, want this t I want this world to be a moral universe where this thing called justice exists and evil gets what it deserves. Right? And that, that's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about this morning, right? That, that we do live in a moral universe, that God the Father made him the judge of all humanity, and that your eternal future, whether you're raised to life everlasting and joy inexpressible or raised up to resurrection of judgment, whether you're going to heaven or to hell, Jesus declares really bluntly the path to heaven, to joy, is through me. Right. And so maybe a, just a, a way to start thinking about this this morning is, do you think about that? Uh, do you believe in what 
The church has called for thousands of years in the doctrine of the last judgment, uh, that all of history is rushing headlong into a confrontation uh, or a comforting experience with Jesus the judge, that, uh, that history is not full of sound and fury signifying nothing. It's, it's Jesus is going to, to just weed out the mess that is this world as an impartial judge, a judge who does not play favorites. Right? I mean, that's, that's part of what we, we said this morning, that Jesus will leave the right hand of God the Father and return to judge the living and the dead. Right? So how often do you think about that? <laughs> you know, the, I know the, the culture in which we live, right? we, we're, we're taught not to think about it because the moment you say judgment, judgment you know, that, that just sets up all kinds of dilemmas. So the first point I want to do this morning is, is show you the dilemma of di- divine judgment here in John 5. Because we are picking up in the middle of an argument, there is a dilemma for everyone when you start talking about God judging, right? Because on the one hand, this is an argument between two different groups of people that believe that God is a righteous judge. You have the Jesus and the Jewish leadership who believe that uh, God, God will hold all people accountable on a day of future judgment. It's in the Old Testament, not very much. Jesus actually talks about it more. But passages like Daniel 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, says there's a day coming when those who sleep in the dust of the earth, they're going to awake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt, everlasting shame. And so this really is a, a we're, we're peeking in into a, a theological discussion between two people who, who believe in divine judgment and do two different things with it. Because you have the Jews, as we just read in verse 18, right? Their belief that God is judge and that there is a right and wrong, that actually moves them to kill Jesus. That, that's the story of the gospel, Right? They live out what everyone's worst fear is. If you believe that God is judge, it's going to make you judgmental and violent. Right? And that's actually one of the main reasons a lot of people outside of the church would say, I don't trust religion. Because if you believe that your God separates the sheep from the goats, and that hell is a real place for real people who don't believe like you, then that has to make you intolerant and or violent. Right? You're not going to res- the argument is you're not going to respect people who believe differently. You're going to act like the Jews in John. You'll become radicalized at worst or intolerably judgmental at best. And that's just one part of the dilemma. Right? The other part of the dilemma is um, it's kind of what we pray for. We all, if there is a divine judge, we all know people who believe differently than us. They have different views on good and evil and who God is. And so our reaction to Jesus' teaches this morning is also deeply personal, even as we bring our fears and are honest about them. And yet, I hope you see that, that we need this to be true. My hope is, you know, Vince Gilligan, the writer of Breaking Bad, he's not a Christian, he's agnostic, but he's just saying, this is what I wish is true. I want there to be cosmic justice, right? Because at the heart of Jesus' teaching is he says, right, there is good and evil. And we need to be able to make that distinction. 
So what is happening in your world or in, in the world right now that you would call evil, that, that makes you angry, that makes you really uncomfortable, that makes you pray prayers like, God, do something about this. This is a mess. Right? It angers you. I mean, just look at human history and the world right now. How many weak, oppressed people who are crying out and it feels like there's no one to wipe away their tears. Right? I mean, there is. We need, we need divine judgment to be true because there is something in you and in me that says that is not just their preference. <laughs> That's evil. Right? But for evil to be held accountable, that's, that's a biblical worldview. That's, that's the God of the Bible you're crying out for help to. Or at least you're stealing his ideas. <laughs> right? if, you, if you take away that idea that there is divine justice at the end, who's gonna, God is going to right all wrongs, well, here's, how some people, here's how one non-Christian tries to wrestle with this. A guy named Sam Harris, he's a well-known critic of religion, and he tells the story in his book called Free Will about just, just crime, people doing violent, terrible things, and here's, all the, here's why they did what they did, here's their awful childhood. And he concludes after telling these horrible stories that the, is, is, he's, he writes this, the idea that we, as conscious beings, should be deeply responsible for the character of our mental lives and our behavior, it's just impossible to map onto reality. In other words, the idea that you are responsible for what you do and what you think and what you do to other people, no matter how violent, you're just a victim of your circumstances. So how can you be held accountable? You keep going with that train of thought. How do you actually make a distinguish? How do you draw a line between good and evil? If you're just a product of your biology, your suffering, your circumstances, then you can't declare violent criminals morally evil. They're just victims. They're not in control. They don't have free will. And if you don't have free will, you can't, there's no justice. Right? Put it this way. All right, if you pick up your cat and it scratches you, right? You know, not, dog people might call the cat evil. <laughs> but the cat is not doing moral evil. It just wants you to leave it alone. <laughs> right? The reason the cat harms you, right? it's, it's not a moral decision. It's just acting according to its nature. Now, if you don't believe in the doctrine of last judgment, if you don't take Jesus at his word here this morning, you don't have actual moral accountability. And then you've got to go and say, why should I ask for forgiveness if I was just pre-programmed by my circumstances to hurt you? Right? Or why should I expect someone else to recognize the harm done to me if they're no different than just a grumpy cat on a bad day? Right? So part of what I'm highlighting, and I hope it helps you too, just talk to your neighbors to just ask good questions, is when Jesus talks about hell and judgment, a good and evil, it sets up a dilemma of where for there to be hope for the world, we need divine justice to be true. And I cry out for justice, don't you? I mean, that's what Jesus says. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his, his voice 
And they're either going to rise to eternal life or to eternal judgment. Right? That's the dilemma. Right? If, if there is no divine judgment, there's no hope for the world. But if there is divine judgment, if, we are, if all of humanity is to be judged for the good and evil in which we do, what hope is there for you and me? Right? And that's why we need Jesus, the humble judge, as he explains himself here in John chapter 5, because he helps us resolve the dilemma. Because right? what Jesus does in John 5 is he holds together two things that we find completely incompatible. He holds together humility and judgment. Because right? if I'm judging you, right, you say, how dare you judge me? How, how dare you tell me I'm wrong? You've set yourself up here. You think I'm down here. And we hate that feeling. But Jesus Christ holds together and is, as the judge of all humanity, co-equal with God, humble down into the dust. So look at verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Does that sound arrogant? I mean, be honest, if you heard that in a, if you heard a, heard a grown man say, say that at a restaurant at a table next to you, right, what would you think of him? Right? Either they have, he has, just has a ridiculously good relationship with his father, <laughs> or more likely we would say, dude, cut the cord, right? It's time to grow up. You got to be independent. How can you do nothing without your father? Move out of your, move out of your parents' basement. Right? And yet Jesus goes on to say, I only do what I see my Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I am completely dependent on my Father. I can't do anything on my own. You know, Jesus is starting to articulate some of the mysteries of the Trinity here. That he's co-equal with God, the Father. But he's also willingly by choice, humbly subordinate to the Father, to use the technical language. Right? He's equal with God, yet he's completely soaked in humility as a humble son. Right? So if you put it in the context of John 5, right? Jesus heals the invalid. Um, he would say, well, my Father told me, I'm just doing the kind of things my Father does. I'm giving life. My Father gives life, so I give life. And that actually, as you, if you read the, way, the pattern of the way Jesus describes of life, his, his life here, you could see a J shape where he's coming down from heaven, right? He's living here on earth as a humble son in complete submission and perfect obedience to God the Father, even to death on a cross. And Jesus is the kind of person who doesn't have to exalt himself by being judgmental. No, he says, the Father honors me. The Father gives me authority. The Father loves me. Right? His whole identity is based on what he's given, not on what he's achieving. The Father honors his Son. Right? And so when you see the Father saying, all right, Jesus, I see you. You're my beloved Son. I'm going to honor you with the right to judge all of humanity. Right? You're 
in Jesus, there's just unparalleled humility combined with the right to have dominion over all the nations, to determine heaven and hell for every person who's ever lived. He's able to say, I I do nothing on my own, but as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I don't seek my own will, but I seek the will of the one who sent me. You know why we don't like judgmental people? It's because we know their judgment is completely tainted by, you're not doing what I want right now. You're making my life inconvenient. You're not living up to my standards of right and wrong. And Jesus has the audacity to say, I'm helpless on my own, and yet my judgment is just. I don't play favorites, because it's not about what I want, it's about what my Father wants. I don't hold those two things together when I think of Jesus very well. Now that he is a humble judge, and he's so dependent that even in his responsibility and, and just who he is as the divine son of God, right? he doesn't climb into the throne himself. God says, come sit next to me. This is now your job. He's first a beloved, obedient, dependent son before he's the judge. Now look at the, there's four, four statements here. <laughs> there's four FOR statements that Jesus uses here to describe his dependence. Right? He says, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I mean, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing, and you're going to see even greater things, probably pointing to Jesus' miracles and resurrection. For, as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the Son does. For, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. This is Jesus saying, see, look at what the Father does for me. I am dependent on him. To use the words of Hebrews, I really am the, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of my Father's nature, and I can't do anything apart from what my Father shows me to do and tells me to do. Completely dependent. So here's the question. If Jesus is the divine Son of God and the perfect human being, as human beings in this room, do you live this way? <laughs> right? Do you relate to God the Father this way? Um, obviously not as judge, but to say, I, I can't do anything on my own. Jesus teaches us to say that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we're to echo, like Jesus, that same attitude of apart from God, Father, Son, and Spirit, I am weak. I can't do anything. And then the, the ways I know I don't live up to that is because I don't pray without ceasing. <laughs> I like to judge people. That feels good. You know, I get anxious and think I need to do this or, you know. I live day to day based on the talents God gives me, not based on faith. Right? I mean, just apply the dependence of Jesus for a moment. All right, one, gratitude. Just say thank you. All right, Jesus is articulating his active obedience so that we can be treated in him as if we've lived a completely dependent life on God. In Christ, you're not judgmental. That's your reputation in him, by faith. 
So celebrate the, the sola Christus of the Reformation. It's, it's all about Jesus. But two, if you meditate on hum, the humility of Christ, this is, this is modeling and complete dependence on God the Father. And the, this is really the only way you can love someone. Right? That, that dependence on God the Father, that's the secret to love. Because right? look at Jesus in chapter 5. He loved a man who tattled on him. Right? He healed a guy who showed no gratitude. And the reason he could heal a guy who showed no gratitude is because he's like God the Father who pours out rain on the just and unjust, and all of whom don't say thank you as they ought. Right? You could put it another way, the reason I'm so judgmental is because I'm too self-willed, too independent, too confident in my own abilities to do good. And So how can I love somebody if it's all about me? You can't love without humility. And you can't love without Jesus' humility because without faith in Jesus, without belief in divine judgment, what's going to stop you from taking Jesus' chair and judging everyone according to your standards? That's why B.B. Warfield, the the Princeton Bible, Bible scholar would say our, our, our self-abnegation, that's the old word of forgetting yourself, right? It's not just for our own sake, it's actually for the sake of others. Because Jesus doesn't just tell us to deny ourselves, he tells us to unselfish ourselves, right? So how do you unselfish yourself? And I would argue that it would start by honoring Jesus, the judge, the way the Father honors the Son, Right, to really believe, right, resolve the dilemma of divine judgment by trusting Jesus as your judge. Because right, Jesus says, God the Father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the Son so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And so if you want to know what is God's will for you this morning, believe Jesus' words. Honor the Son. Trust him. Believe what Jesus says is true. Right? That the way through divine judgment to everlasting life to be a deeply loving person right now is through faith in Jesus, the humble judge. Because that's what he says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So, do you hear Jesus' voice calling you? And come and trust me. Come and see how I will shield you from my judgment by taking the judgment you deserve for your arrogance, for my arrogance, rising to new life, and I'm going to teach you a whole new way of being human, trusting God the Father the way I trust Him. Right. Now, here's the future. Here's what you're called to believe. This is verses 25 through 29, according to Jesus, right? First amazing thing, there's a lot in here. One of the amazing things Jesus says is that the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will rise, right? That Jesus doesn't talk about the last judgment as being solely at the end of history. He says, guess what? It starts right now as I'm speaking to you. This is realized eschatology. This is the already. Right? right now, you need to be made alive in relationship with God. You need to become made alive 
to divine judgment and divine love. You need to know the Father. Because this is, this is how Jesus describes all of humanity. If it starts now and we're all alive, yet Jesus still calls us dead. The hour is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and rise. Who's he talking to? It's a whole bunch of living-bodied creatures who are breathing, but they don't know the living God. And Jesus says, you're spiritually dead. All right, so why is everyone so judgmental and angry at everyone else for not keeping their standards? Because, well, we're spiritually dead, unable to unselfish ourselves. We need resurrection. We need to hear Jesus' voice. We need to trust him. So Jesus is laying out, you can make the decision now to get through the judgment at the end of all things. Make the choice now. You can actually tell Vince Gilligan, right, if you run into him on the street. I don't know where he lives, but there is cosmic justice according to Jesus. And resurrection starts now. Right? He's, Jesus is God incarnate in the Gospels. He's doing things that only God can do. He's raising the dead. He's giving life. He's judging. He's, he's doing things in the Gospel of John that only Yahweh of the Old Testament does. Right? And what, part of what Jesus is saying here is uh, the book of Daniel is coming true right now. Right? He, he identifies himself. God the Father, in verse 27, has given Jesus the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And the Son of Man comes from Daniel 7, this human-like person that God gives authority over all nations, all tribes, all tongues, to destroy evil, to put reins on the beastly kingdoms of the world, to do justice to people, and especially leaders, who do evil things. And Jesus says, that's me, and I'm doing that right now. You know, he's, he, at the same time, Jesus is the son who speaks and makes alive. He's fulfilling Daniel 12 too, that resurrection starts now with me. That at, at the sound of his voice, some will wake from the dead and rise up to everlasting life. Jesus is just soaked in the Old Testament. See, if you're a Christian, what that means, I'm going to keep saying it because it comes up a lot in the Gospel of John. If you're a Christian, you have already come through the end time judgment of God through faith in Jesus. And you're declared not guilty in Him. Do you hear Jesus' voice? Right, this is important. Right? The reason I can't unselfish myself is because I'm too arrogant. I like being the judge. I like my standards. I don't want to change my standards. And yet here is Jesus saying, your standards are too weak, too small. I'm the judge. The Father hasn't given you that job. Now Along comes Jesus Christ, the humble judge, in love, so that you might receive the love of the Father, so that we might be sons of God. Right? The judge chooses to be judged in our place, to go through hell so that we might have everlasting life. You're going to see greater things than this, Jesus says. It's him being raised from the dead for our justification, for our not guilty verdict. See, the 
the reason we really struggle with divine judgment is because we disconnect it with Jesus' willing choice as the judge to be judged for us in our place in love. Right? Don't disconnect it from the love of God. That if, if he really loved you, he would warn you. And because he really loved you, he did warn you. Jesus talks about hell and judgment more than any other teacher in the Bible. Yeah. Teller, the, the, the famous atheist magician, right? That's a YouTube video that's gone viral in, in, in Christian circles because someone gave him a Bible after one of his shows, and he's just an outspoken atheist, and he's just, he's tore up emotionally because he felt loved because a person said, you need Jesus, read, the, read this, and he gave him a gospel a Gideon Bible. And this non-Christian said something along the lines of, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize, to not proselytize? Because if I see a bus barreling down on you and I don't push you out of the way, right, that's not loving, that's, that's heartless. You know, how, and this is so much more important than this. No, part of, part of the, the beauty of divine judgment is you see, God really loves me as he pays for my evil and is patient to form me into someone who is good like Jesus is good. And we get there by being resurrected now by listening to Jesus' words to trust him as your judge, your humble judge. Right? What will be the effect of that? And this is how we'll, we'll end here. You know, you know the main reason why our neighbors don't come to church? So at Presbytery, just, I'll tell you where I'm getting my information from. They, we've applied to something called Mission Insight, and it just takes all the best research and stats and stuff and says, here's a general profile of what your neighbors believe. And, and the t- top 10 reason why people aren't interested in church, don't want to come to church, or don't consider joining a church is because they believe Christians are too judgmental whether true or perceived, right? I mean, that's, that's outside of our control to some extent. So if we're really going to believe this, right? we're not talking about discerning between good and evil. We're talking about judgment. Right? How can a Christian judge anyone knowing Jesus was con- had to be condemned because of our evil? You know, how, can, how can we let belief in divine judgment turn to violence when the, the judge of the earth chose to suffer like a lamb? and says, follow me and follow my footsteps. Part of the call, the the really hard call of the gospel is to unselfish yourself by believing that Jesus is judged and he loves you. And that moral reality, that's what Paul says, right? Um, Don't repay those who do you evil with evil. Bless those who curse curse you. Bless those who persecute you because as the Lord says, Vengeance or punishment is mine. It's not your job. It's not my job. Entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. It's going to hurt. But that's the call. That's how you be a faithful witness to Jesus, the humble judge. We, get a, we got an example of that. This is 2018. And, and all over uh, the to the, the popular social media and in corporate media all over the news. Um, 
The guy named David Nasser did all kinds of horrible things to the U.S. Olympic gymnast team. Right? And, and it took the courage of a young lady named Rachel Den, Den, Den Hollander, I'm going to make sure I say her name right, who um, was one of the, she was the first to be believed when she reported what he was doing. And she, she was described as kind of a five-star general organizing just the, all of these victims that came out and sought justice for this person who had done evil. And at, at David Nasser's trial, she was given uh, final words to say to him. And that's what's in our bulletin. That's what the, the context of the, the reflection, where she says, the Bible carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Right? She's not running and charging the stand and threatening violence. She's saying, God's wrath and terror is coming for you. And she goes on and says, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel so sweet, because it extends grace and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. Right. To which we would say, amen. <laughs> Trust Jesus, the humble judge, and be blown away by the love and mercy of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of grace. We pray that your spirit is active, opening our ears so that we might hear Jesus' voice calling us by name and saying, I love you. Receive my gift of being judged in your place. I pray for us as a church that we will be known as a place that is not soft on evil, but yet is not judgmental, uh, that we can faithfully hold the line between saying there is right and wrong, God, you are real, and yet we love moral failures, because that's how you've loved us. So teach us, Lord, to be faithful witnesses of Jesus, his compassion, and his justice in a way that grows the, your family here in Saratoga County. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please stand as you're able and we'll sing our last song. Christ, our hope in life and death.